Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. Increasingly, the Biden administration links a Gaza ceasefire and a prisoner exchange to broader regional objectives, including Saudi recognition of Israel and the semblance of a pathway to resolving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That is easier said than done, particularly given the time limitations imposed by the U.S. presidential election in November and the likely prospect of an election in Israel once the guns fall silent in Gaza. Ultimately, timing may be the lesser hurdle to achieving the administration's goal. Political obstacles are likely to prove more formidable. Speaking at the Munich Security Conference this week, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken asserted that there was an extraordinary opportunity in the coming months for Israel to normalize ties with its Arab neighbors. Virtually every Arab country now genuinely wants to integrate Israel into the region, to normalize relations, to provide security commitments and assurances so that Israel can feel more safe. Mr. Blinken said. And there's also, I think, the imperative that's more urgent than ever to proceed to a Palestinian state that also ensures the security of Israel, he added. That's where the rubber hits the road. History suggests that negotiations produce results when the price of not achieving a negotiated solution becomes too high stalled guttery Egyptian and U.S. efforts to negotiate a ceasefire indicate that neither Israel nor Hamas have reached that point. Both are willing to let the Gazans pay the price for their intransigence. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made that clear by ensuring that his scaled-down delegation at last week's talks in Cairo with the negotiators had no authority to negotiate a deal. On Thursday, Mr. Netanyahu refused to allow the delegation to return to Cairo for follow-up discussions. In a statement, Mr. Netanyahu's office said that Israel will not submit to Hamas's illusory demands. Only a change in Hamas's position will allow progress in the negotiations. Hamas negotiator Ismail Haniyeh insisted two days later that the group would not agree to anything less than a deal involving a ceasefire, the withdrawal of Israeli forces from Gaza, a lifting of the blockade of the Strip, the safe return of displaced Gazans to their homes, and the reconstruction of the war-ravaged territory. Mr. Netanyahu's refusal to further engage in indirect talks with Hamas on Mr. Ania's terms, which enjoy broad support in much of the international community, is closely linked to the Prime Minister's insistence on continuing the Gaza war to the bitter end and his opposition to the creation of a viable Palestinian state on lands conquered by Israel in the 1967 Middle East War. There is no alternative to total victory, 
we shall not bow down to international dictates regarding a future deal with the Palestinians. How can we recognize such a state after the massacre of October 7? This would be a reward for terrorism, Mr. Netanyahu said, throwing down a gauntlet for Mr. Blinken and U.S. President Joe Biden. The Prime Minister spoke as tens of thousands poured into the streets of Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, demanding his resignation and or the prioritization of the release of the remaining 120 of the approximately 250 hostages abducted by Hamas during its October 7 attack on Israel, even if that requires an end to the war. Mr. Netanyahu prided himself on achieving the initial release of 120 hostages in November. However, he failed to acknowledge that the vast majority were freed in prisoner exchanges with Hamas during a one-week truce rather than as a result of Israeli military operation. Mr. Netanyahu's omission reflects his unwillingness and or inability to recognize that four months into the war, Israel has yet to achieve its war goals and that its conduct of the war has taken an unacceptable toll on innocent Gazans and caused irreparable damage to Israel's international standing. Hamas's ability to maintain its position in the ceasefire and prisoner exchange negotiations highlights Israel's failure so far to destroy the group as a military and political force. Moreover, Israel has yet to hunt down Hamas's Gaza-based top leaders, or prevent the group from reasserting itself in parts of the devastated Strip. U.S. intelligence estimated earlier this month that Israel has killed or captured at most 30% of Hamas's 30,000-strong fighting force. Mr. Netanyahu's defiance also reflects his refusal to recognize that Israel's security lies in an equitable resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, rather than in a failed, more than five-decade-long effort to beat Palestinians into submission through brutal force, repression, collective punishment, disregard for Palestinian lives, and humiliation. If anything, the Gaza War demonstrates that 57 years of Israeli occupation of Palestinian land has produced an endless and escalating cycle of violence. To be sure, the cycle has been perpetuated by a weak Palestinian leadership incapable of taking the bull by the horns and that allowed Israel to continuously undermine its authority and play divide and rule. Hamas is the product of Palestinian weakness and Israel's cynical policies. Breaking the stalemate on a ceasefire, prisoner exchange, and credible process to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is likely to require a change in the United States' handling of Israel. The United States would have to apply real pressure rather than continued friendly nudging that has failed to change Israeli policy and military tactic. 
conventional wisdom has it that a phone call to Mr. Netanyahu, in which Mr. Biden threatens to impose conditions on arms sales to Israel or an all-out weapons embargo, is all it would take to force Israel to end the war and come to the negotiating table. Mr. Netanyahu suggested in his news conference that that might not be that simple. The balance of power in the U.S.-Israeli relationship has shifted. U.S. financial support amounted in 1981 to 10% of Israel's GDP. The U.S.'s annual $4 billion allocation in 2021 accounted for only 1% of GDP. Moreover, Israel today produces many of its most essential weapons domestically, making it less dependent on U.S. arms sales. In addition, Israel concluded in 1991 that it could no longer blindly rely on U.S. protection after the United States did not come to its aid when Iraq fired Scud missiles at the Jewish state during that year's Gulf War. Despite remaining dependent on U.S. vetoes in the United Nations Security Council and military cooperation, Israel has worked to increase its margin of autonomy, much like Gulf states did three decades later, after the United States failed to respond to Iranian-inspired attacks on their critical infrastructure in 2019 and 2020. Moreover, the United States' unconditional commitment to Israel is a double-edged sword. Far from feeling that they owe the Americans any favors, Israeli decision-makers in crisis are likely wagering that U.S. interests in maintaining an established strategic partnership against shared and emboldened enemies, including the Houthis and the Iranians, will prevent Washington from pressing too hard on Israeli policymakers, said international relations scholar Barbara Eliatz. Writing a foreign policy, Mrs. Eliatz suggested that pressure on Israel would likely be most effective if the United States took unilateral steps that would put Israel on the spot rather than resorting to the traditional threat to impose conditions if Israel fails to heed U.S. advice. Such steps could include a threat to unilaterally release detailed information regarding targeting in Gaza, an independent inquiry into civilian deaths in Gaza, and providing humanitarian aid with or without Israel's cooperation. The United States could also recognize Palestine as a state, even before the state is established, as many in the international community have done. The course of messages, either you implement X policy or we will, the historical record suggests that a credible threat of unilateral U.S. action can nudge Israel to move closer to U.S. positions. Moreover, it boosts U.S. bargaining credibility regionally and reinforces that the U.S. is an autonomous actor in the conflict. This may be increasingly important as the U.S. may need to press against sustained Israeli occupation of Gaza and strengthen its ties to key Arab partners. Lastly, unilateral action will allow the U.S. to do more than just lament 
Palestinian civilian death, Mrs. Elias said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you, take care, and best wishes.